three. I know I have. I know I say that every week, like it's something I didn't even know I need or wanted or whatever, but it's been so like just eye opening and like refreshing and things you knew. It's nice to be reminded of things you didn't know. It's like, oh, I didn't even know that was in there. Just little like nuggets, you know, lanyops, if you will, of God's wisdom and mercy and just all the things. Are you guys hot? Anybody warm? A little bit? Well, okay. We'll check on that in just a minute. So let's pray real quick, and we're going to get started. Um, Pastor Peggy's going to go first, and then Pastor Jacob, and then Pastor John. We'll take a a quick break in between um, Pastor Jacob and Pastor John. 30 minutes, three teachers, three classes, R3. Everybody say, get excited. Get involved. The best is yet to come. Do not forget, um, Friday is a revive, I'm sorry, do what? Of a (laughs) ladies gathering here in the main sanctuary at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a good time and just, uh, you know, hear what the Lord has to say for the women of this house and bring a guest, bring a friend, bring a sister, bring an aunt, bring your grandma, bring your neighbor, bring your coworker, anybody you want. Bring your dog, your cat. The fish, I'm kidding. The fica plant, no. Um, and and we're just going to have a good time. We're going to have some refreshments, so um, just come hang out with us. It's going to be a good time for all the ladies in the house. And then uh, Sunday, don't forget, 1030, here in the main sanctuary, service, prayer, 930. And then um, we'll be speaking to you later on at a different time about our events coming up for March. Right? Get excited. Get involved. You sound real excited about it. Yes, it's Wednesday. Okay, let's pray and get started. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity, God, to gather here tonight with our family and experience a new level of the things you're trying to teach us and show us and expose us to and equip us with, God. We can never um, achieve anything in life without you, without your knowledge base, without your strength, without your wisdom, without your grace, without your mercy. We thank you that R3 is becoming an integral, crucial part of who we are as a church and who we are as individuals. Bless each uh, teacher this evening in their sessions. Bless everyone watching online. Bless the people who are here with us tonight, God, and just move in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. First up, Pastor Peggy with the Book of Romans. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am got this fancy mic. Is it okay? Mic test. Is it okay? I know. I know. It does. Sleep noise. Okay. Amen. 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 Okay. I practiced 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Okay. I really practiced. Okay. Now we're going to pick up right where we left off from last week. If you remember... We talked about the fact that your real father is Father God. Do you remember that? And to support that, let me show you this great verse that I found that I want to show you. It's out of the Passion Translation, um, Romans 8, 16, and it reads like this. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you 
are God's beloved child. So see, look at how that's worded. What did we say last week? Church, the Holy Spirit wants you to know what we talked about last week. That your real, 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 real father is Father God. And that you're going back to him because you're born again. Okay? You are secure. You have an identity in him. Every one of you is a beloved child of God. And here's what you need to realize. Every one of us is equally valuable to God. Think about his spiritual... The exact same substance went into John, that went into Mary, that went into Zachy, that went into everybody, okay? So that's what we've got to realize. We are spiritually legitimate children, sons and daughters of our Father God. That's why we have a spirit inside of us that will live forever. A human man and woman cannot make a spirit. They made the holder of the spirit, but your real dad is composed of spirit, and he breathed a part of himself, his spirit, inside of you when you were conceived. Amen? Okay, now let's look at verse 17, the second paragraph of that same verse, and it reads like this, and since we are God's true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. Catch that? We're his true children. So we qualify to share all of his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God. Think about a family. If you've got some rich man and he leaves an inheritance to his children, they are legally rightful heirs of whatever is left. Okay? We are heirs of God. And since we're joined to Christ... We also inherit all that he is and he has. What Jesus is and what Jesus has, okay? And that church is the theme of the book of Romans. That's what I'll need you to know, okay? The Old Testament, remember, pointed us to Jesus. And then in the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell about Jesus, Then you've got the book of Acts that explains the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And then from Romans to Revelation, that's the rest of the New Testament in your Bible. And from Romans to Revelation, it tells us about all that we have, all that we are, and all that we can do because Jesus did the work for us to reconnect us back to Father God. So me personally, I suggest to a new believer, somebody that just gets freshly saved, I suggest they start reading. You know, you give a Bible and say, you know, they'll go, well, where do I start? Well, you really don't want them to start in Genesis, okay? Unfortunately, they're going to get lost, right? You know, you wouldn't want to say, here, start with Ezekiel. <laughs> that will lose them forever, okay? You know, but I suggest, we always say the book of John, and that's just out of habit. I grew up Baptist, and we just told everybody, read and start with the book of John. But, you know, I think for a new believer, start with the book of Romans and go to the end. Because that's 
our salvation benefit package, so to speak. You know, if you get a new job and you got a benefit package, you want to find out what you got, right? That's what the book of Romans, Romans is the first one to start telling us, the first book that tells us what we have through Christ. Okay, so let's go on. We came from the Father, and because we're born again, we're going back to the Father when we die. And that's all good and wonderful and great, but the question is, church, what about this life in between that time? This time on earth before we go back to the Father. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Okay, look with me at this next verse, Romans 1.1. 1, 1. We're on the third week and we're at Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Okay, we've got till Jesus comes back, right, right, Pastor? Okay, okay. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. New Living says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Now, this verse reveals something that we too often overlook. Now, remember last week we said that Paul called the Father our Father? Okay, Paul was being inclusive of everyone. He was including himself and all the believers, all of the believers that would come. He said, this is our Father. We're all children of the same heavenly father right okay now this is what i want you to see in this paul if paul was called let me see how i've got that paul was called to be something well he was chosen let me put it this way paul we see here in this verse that paul was chosen to be something, an apostle, and to do something, to be sent out to preach the word, right? Okay, so what we can surmise from that, the revelation within this verse is that if he was chosen by God to be something and to do something, and if we all have the same Father God, then the summation is that each of us are also chosen by God to be something and to do something specific in our life. See, church, God is purposeful. Nothing He creates is just for the heck of it, okay? Everything he created, including each of you, he created for a purpose. And that purpose is to be and to do a certain thing just on earth, just like Paul here. Paul is just our fellow brother. That was his assignment, each of us has an assignment too. In fact, church, God is so purposeful that he actually creates your purpose first. Then he creates the person. Look with me at this. Jeremiah 1.5. 
out of the easy to read, reads like this. Before I made you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I chose you for a special work. I chose you to be a prophet to the nations. Now look at this. Before I even made you, I knew you. It's the same with you. Before he even made you, he knew you. And before he even made you, he chose you to do something. Okay? So if it's before he made him, and before he was born, he chose him to do a work, then the question is this. What came first? The person or the purpose? The purpose came first, right? Before I made you. Before you were born. Okay? The purpose came first. So here's what I want you to see. This is how it goes. When God breathed His Spirit into you, inside of that Spirit, say you're, you're here, you're the baby. Okay? You're the little baby in here. Inside of the Spirit that He breathed into you to create you was Alrighty, it's like God said, okay, look, I need somebody to, I need somebody to blank, say, start a church in Port Natchez in, what year did you start, 2014? I need somebody to start a church in Port Natchez, so I'm going to create John and Jeff get the job done. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, you know what it looked like. It looked just like, it'd be, it'd be two of these that looked exactly alike, okay? Okay. That's how God works. He breathes a part of himself into the mix of the human components. And the truth is, that the spiritual substance that he breathes into each person contains the purpose for which he breathed out his substance to make you be alive. Look with me at this next verse. Romans 8.30 out of the Passion says like this, Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to ourselves. Church, your destiny was determined by God before you were even created. And notice that that's from Romans. Okay, there's so many good things in the book of Romans. And I know that right now we're not going verse by verse by verse, but my mindset, what the Lord told me with this, this particular study of Romans is that until we have the right mindset to read it, it's just going to be blah, 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 blah. Once we really get, oh my goodness, I am really a real child of God, and this is what I have because of that, then as we read it in our own time, the revelation is going to jump out at us, and, and the reality of it will be able to come into our minds and our hearts as real. Okay? Now, 
Let's talk about that word destiny there. It says, having determined our destiny. Now, here's what I want you to know. Destiny, we talk a lot about destiny. But the word destiny comes from the word destination. Okay? This is where the, the word is uh, derived from. And destination means a place that you are supposed to end up, so to speak. Okay? If you're, you're going on vacation and your destination is Florida, then that's your destiny is to get to Florida, right? Okay? So that's where you're supposed to end up. Now, how many of you know that with God, any place you end up is going to be a good place, right? Because if it ain't good, it ain't over yet. If you don't have good in any certain area, then God's not through working. Because when God's done, it's exceedingly, abundantly, above what you could ask or think. Amen? Okay, so with God, the results are always good. They're always blessed. And so what you need to know is that nobody was made accidentally. No one was a mistake. No one is useless, and no one is important because before God, Father God breathed life into you, he planned a destination for you to end up. He preordained for you to walk in your purpose and to ultimately end up at a good place, tremendously blessed in every single area of your life. Look at uh, this next verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and this is out of the New International Reader's Version. It's different from what we usually, how we usually read it, but it says, I know the plans I have for you, announces the Lord, I want you to enjoy success. God's plans for you are success in every area. And realize, it's not just one plan. It's a multifaceted plan that God has. And he has a destiny. Destiny. He has a destination, a place he wants you to get to that will cause you to be blessed in every area of your life, to cause you to be blessed in your health, to cause you to be blessed in your finances, to cause you to be blessed in your relationships. Every part of your life, church, God already has a plan, and he wants you to walk in his plan. And how do you do that? Well, first thing you need to know is that the plan is in the book. Look with me at this. Psalm 139.16. It says, You saw who you created me to be before I became me. More of the same. You see it? You're getting the theme here? There's so many verses. Once you snap to it, then there's so many verses that that support this and that, you know, uh, uh, bring new revelation into it. So you saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, 
the number of days you planned for me, there's the plans again, were already recorded in your book. Church, God loves every single one of you so much that before you were born, he wrote an entire book about your life. And it includes everything about your purpose, what he's chosen you to be, what he's chosen you to do, and it includes where he desires for you to end up physically, mentally, financially, relationship-wise. And it's all good. All the details of God's perfect will for each of you are in an invisible-to-us spiritual book that he's written. And every single one of you has a book with a happy ending that includes God's plan for your life. Amen? Isn't that cool? You know, the Bible, I'd like to do a study sometime of just the books that it talks about in the Bible. Because God is old school. That's my joke. He writes everything down. The angels are writing down. The angels have books. They, they check stuff and they record stuff and they, they do it. God is a God of books. And you have a book of your life that God planned out every detail that he wants you to know about. And how do you do that? Well, first of all, I think to, to follow this book, first of all, you've got to be aware of the book, okay, which is what the purpose of tonight. If you're not aware of that, then you don't have that mindset to, to pray into it and to, you know, want to want to know about it and stuff. And think about the millions of Christians that just go through their life thinking, you know, well, you know, it's just me and I'm doing the best I can. Okay, you've got to be aware of the book. Second of all, you've got to acknowledge the book. And here's what I mean by that. I want to suggest to you that every day you pray and you say, Lord, I realize now Psalm 139 says that you have a book for my life. And I want to submit to that book. I want to follow that book. Whatever's on your page for this day, I want to do everything that you've put in, in for me. You see how you do that? You acknowledge it. He wants you to know about it. Okay? And then second of all, you third of all, you activate it with your faith. Activate it with your faith. Same thing in that prayer. Just say, Lord, here I am. I want to follow your book. Help me. Lead God and direct me. Help me to follow your book. Okay, now, if you do that, church, I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. And here's, <laughs> you're not catching what I'm saying. It's going to change your life. Okay, because what's going to happen when you start submitting to God's book for your life, there's going to be some plot twist in there that you were not expecting. I promise you, okay? And if those plot twists are not something evil or something of sin, then learn to just go with the flow, okay? If God keeps putting something, you know, in your heart and in your mind, just, just go with that.
okay? It's probably part of the book, and he's trying to steer you towards that because if you ask for the book of God's will to play out in your life, church, it's not always going to be what you thought you wanted. Amen? And that's the trick. Now look with me at this next verse. Ephesians 2.10 says, Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny. Same thing. More verses. And the good works we would do to fulfill it. He planned, but will you follow his plan? You know, he made us free will beings. You can follow, do your best to follow God's plan, or you can do your best to follow your own plan. And whose plan do you think is going to be the better plan? You see what I'm saying? Okay, look at this next verse. Psalm 32, 8, out of the Passion. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn. When I take you where you've not been before, what did we just say? If you submit to God's plan, there's going to be stuff that's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, okay? It's your, your will or God's will. You, we've got to learn to die to our will and submit to God's will, okay? He says, he says so don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn. When I take you where you've not been before, don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Isn't that amazing how that's worded? The Passion Translation is so crazy with that, okay? But um, here's the deal, church. Your life is not supposed to just be a chaotic mess. Every single one of you is valuable and important to God, and there's something that he needs you to do and to be. There's a purpose God created you for. And there's a destination he wants you to reach. And catch this. I want you to catch where he says, uh, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway. Look at this next picture. Church, every single one of us has a spiritual pathway that God wants us to walk down. Every single one of us has, I like to say, our own lane, right? And God wants us to get in our lane and stay in our lane until we get to the destination that he has for us. And that's going to be all good every single time. And I want you to notice, too, all of these lanes, church, are equally important. I mean, lane number two is not any better than lane number three. It's just a separate lane. So it doesn't matter if God's called you to be a garbage man or God's called you to be a brain surgeon. In the spirit realm, all that matters is if you're listening to and obeying God and trying to fulfill your 
purpose the best you can. Get it? So realize, we don't have to compete against anyone else. We don't have to be jealous of anyone else. We don't have to feel like a loser or a reject or that we're forgotten. No. Your path has a glorious ending. And it is tailor-made just for you by God. And it's just as good as anybody else's. God doesn't have favorites. He wrote a wonderful book for every single one of us. And he predetermined a pathway for each of us to walk down. And all we are responsible for is doing what we can to reach the end of our path. Not our husbands, not our wives, not our brothers, not our sisters, not our neighbors. Our path. We're only going to be accountable for ourselves when we stand before God. So just every day pray and tell God, tell the Lord, you know, I want your book for me, Lord. I want to fulfill what you have made me for. I want to do and be everything you've called me to do and be. So show me. Show me each step I'm supposed to take along the way. And if we do that, look at this next picture. This will be us. Now look, the only picture I could find that expressed my point was a person in a wheelchair. But then the Lord spoke to me and he said, that is a very accurate portrayal. Because guess what, guys? We all have handicaps, don't we? We all have disabilities. We all have our issues. But look at this. You see the people cheering? Church, all of heaven is cheering us on. The Father is cheering us on. Come on. Jesus is cheering us on. The angels are cheering us on. The cloud of witnesses are cheering us on. Everyone in the invisible spirit realm can see your path. And they can see your value. And they can see your purpose. And they are saying, run, Forrest, run. Okay? They're saying, you can do it. Come on, get up. Some of us may have fallen down. Guess what? Tonight's tonight. Get your butt up. Okay, and just tonight go and say, Lord, you know what? I was confused. I'm sorry. I repent. I want to get on my path. I'm going to put my blinders on. I'm not looking at, I was going to say John and Mary, but not not you, John. I'm not looking at Billy and Susie. I'm not looking at nobody else. It's me and you. I'm going to run my race. I want to be what you've called me to be. I want to do what you've called me to do. And I want to reach the good destination in every area of my life that you've already preordained for me to have. I want to do this. Lord, help me to run that race, okay? Let me exhort you, church, to stay focused from here on out. Stay focused. Ask the Lord to help you fulfill his wonderful plan for your life and watch and see how your life is blessed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just stay here. Wait, hang on, let me turn the microphone off. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? 
Hello? There we are. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Pastor Peggy about her uh, class? In the beginning, can you give a quick, quick recap? And I think those, yeah, I think they're available, Sarah, too, online, if you, uh, YouTube, I'm sorry, if you want to go back and watch the whole thing, too, we can get you that information. Yeah. And that's so good. I can assure you, God doesn't give you the grace and the capacity and the passion to do something that he has not called you to do. He's not going to put the desire in you and then be like, skirt, no further. Skirt, that's King James. Okay, next up, um... Pastor Jacob will be speaking to you about the secret place. Yes. All right. That was so good, Pastor Peggy. Uh, I like what she said. You know, <clears throat> the biggest thing is just being staying in our lane, and, and learning how to flow with the Holy Ghost, you know, and that's, that's the main point of the secret place as well, is learning how to hear His voice, right? Learning what is our lane, and every second of every day, of every moment, knowing which way am I supposed to go, right? Um, I just feel like tonight, really quick, I'm going to pray, guys. I feel like there's some people here tonight that have been struggling, um, and I could be totally off, but see, that's, that's part of the secret place as well, is learning how to hear His voice in the moment. And feel his heart, right? I feel like some of you have gone through a hard week this week. That some things have been said to you that maybe have stung you and hurt you. And uh, I've been struggling this whole time just trying to decipher what's going on. So I just want to pray really quick. Father God, we just come to you and we thank you, God. God, that we can come into your presence, God. And, and it be times of refreshing for us, Father. So God, I just ask that this be times of refreshing, God. As we learn your word, Father. As we learn more about you, God. Let the revelation of who you are come alive within us and therefore we see how you see us God God that we are loved father God that we are on the right track God that we are in our lane for you father because we're fighting to just do what you want us to do so father I just ask that you bless us bless your people God bring a refreshing to them right now in Jesus name all the pain and the hurt and the agony that they've went through this week I just speak healing and grace and mercy over them father in Jesus name Amen, amen. All right, guys, the secret place. I had notes already ready to go, and then the Lord had me just to start writing a bunch of different notes. <laughs> so uh, we'll just see how this goes. Amen. Uh, I always like I always have to read this uh, this one two questions actually kind of it's one question but two and one actually. How much of what we are doing is from something inherited from a man made expectation? Or man-made system and what are you doing in your life that was actually birthed out of the secret place in prayer you know that I have to ask it because when God sh showed me that question it uh, it convicted me right it convicted me because I wanted to you know we had like I said we have so many good ideas of what the kingdom is and and 
and how to do the kingdom and, and great ideas of helping people and, and, and all that. But how much of it was birth in just that place where we got along with God and said, Father, what do you want me to do? So often we skip over that step, right? And we go and, and do what we think is good and right. And those things are, are honorable, right? But more than that, God wants us to be totally and completely reliant upon him for every single thing. He wants us reliant upon him for every single breath, right? When he breathed into Adam, he gave him his little breath into him. And in that essence, in that sense, every breath that we take is only because God is allowing us to have that breath, right? So we've got to be reliant upon him. And God wants us to take it literally from that standpoint, that every breath is given from him. So let's not waste every breath that we have, right? That we're here on earth, not to worry about yesterday, not to worry about tomorrow, but in the moment, figuring out, God, what do you want me to do in my lane, Father, so that I'm fighting for the prize, so that I'm reaching for the goal, right? So that I'm running a good race. So when you think of the secret place, it's it's basically, if I could put it in another word, it would be proximity. Proximity. What is proximity? It's how close you are to something, right? The closeness, how close or far away you are from something. Uh, proximity fixes everything. This is something that Damon Thompson says, and uh, it is, it's just always stuck with me. Proximity fixes everything, and nothing else will. Nearness to the heart of the Father is not a part of Christianity. It's all of it. Everything that is supposed to flow out of the Christian experience has to chiefly come from the source of private, personal devotion. Everything we do for the Lord, everything we do, for ourselves, everything we do for our family, everything we do for our job, everything should be flowing out of that secret place. It's not an option. It's not an option. It's something that we must be doing. You see, Yahweh is jealous for you to know him and love him in a deeper way that we could ever know or love a calling or an assignment on our lives. You see, a calling may be something in the ministry, but an assignment is not necessarily the ministry, right? An assignment is being a mother, being a father, being a brother, being a sister, being a friend, being a co-worker, being whatever that is in, within your lane that God has called you to. The assignment or ministry was never intended to be the source where we find fulfillment, right? The call on your life is a consequence of the unshakable validation you discover in a secret place alone with him. You see, for so long when I became a Christian, the question was, okay, now what am I supposed to do? I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to do? And the question was, God, what is my calling? Where, where do I fit in? Where's my lane, right? What am I supposed to be doing? And I never first went to the secret place and asked Father God, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, God desperately wants to tell us, I'm telling you, every detail of your life. If you allow him every second of your day, he will guide you throughout the entire day. But it takes, it takes risk, right? It takes saying, you know what, I'm going to lay every thought that I have Every uh, uh, plan that I may have lined up, I have to just lay it at his feet and say, God, I want your plan to happen. You know, I've heard it said before, they, you know, what's, what's another way to spell faith? And it's R-I-S-K, risk. You've got to take a risk. You've got to give it into the hands of the Father. The only way you're going to see him move in your life is if you allow him and give him opportunity. And the bigger risk you take, the more he'll move, right? You see, God's measuring stick in an individual is private, personal, devotion, to him. This is love, right? This is love. If you and I ever taste the degree of fulfillment and intimacy God has reserved for us in the secret place, we will unearth a treasure that will ruin us for inferior pursuits. 
Guys, I'm telling you, you begin to get alone with him. He begins to grow you in this place. And you begin to, to, to get a desire, get a hunger, and get a thirst for that place. Because he begins to touch you. He begins to speak to you in ways that you never thought could ever happen. You know, the Bible begins to come more alive and alive and alive because you begin to say, wait, the very things I'm reading are happening to me in my life now because we're getting alone with him. All those inferior pursuits that we had, whether it be a job, whether it be family, whether it be kids, all those things become inferior to him and just seeing his face. And you see, the enemy will do whatever he can to keep you from this. He is fine with you spending 50 years in church if he can keep you from tasting the treasure that God reserves for a place called secret. It's a treasure, guys. It's a treasure. And it's not always easy. A treasure is hidden. That's why it's the secret place. Because you've got to find it. God always gives us, he doesn't give us a map with the exact details of how to walk this out. But he does give us a compass. And he says, look, go this way. <laughs> you know, Abraham, go this way. Well, where am I, you know, just go. And that's how it is in the secret place. There's no laid out way of doing this thing. The thing about it, and I've said it before, is that God is such an intimate God that he wants to have such a personal walk with you that he builds it with you as you go, right? We can listen to people and we can get good ideas of what their secret place looks like and how they pray and their, in, their intimacy with him. But ultimately, it's got to be you and him. You just getting in it and, and fighting against your flesh. because That's what it's completely about, is <laughs> fighting against your flesh that does not want to be there that falls asleep, that loses track of time. I'm Not time, that's really good, actually. But loses track of just, you know, I can't, I can't keep my mind here, and it goes here and goes there. You're going to continually fight against that. But, it, but the longer you do it, the easier it will get, I promise you. You see, we are corporately paralyzed unless we have been individually liberated in a devotional place called secret. Listen to this. We are corporately paralyzed unless we have been individually, personally liberated in a devotional place called secret. We cannot just keep coming to church and wanting to get plastered in church and then we, we go home and expect God to just do all these great and mighty things in our lives. We've got to get along with him and then get plastered in that place first. And then when we come together corporately, all of us together, with our own individual secret places you know, that we've had and we come together, do you, can you imagine, do you know what happens? Revival happens in that place. It's the very thing that God is calling us to. What we experience corporately is wonderful, but it will not last and it will die off having no lasting effect if we don't personally cultivate a consistent devotional secret place. Consistent being the key word. Consistent. And it is not mine or any leaders or pastors or anybody's job to get you there. It's you and his job. It's your job to get there. But he will help you as long as you let him do it. God is calling a people, a company, into the secret place, desiring deeper degrees of trustworthiness so that he can entrust them with the next dimension and not have to hide it in one or two people. He's beginning to distribute the load of his glory to a worthy company of people. I don't know about you, but I want to be worthy, right? I want to be worthy of the call. I want to be worthy of the glory that he wants to lay upon his people. The Bible says, that uh, it's the, the hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory. What is the secret place? It's Christ being built within us, right? You see, God desires his children to be carriers of his glory and not just 
enjoyers of his glory. How many of you desire to be a carrier, not just an enjoyer? I want to be a carrier of his glory, right? I want to go to the people that don't even know or understand who Jesus is and bring that glory to them. Amen? I don't just want to sit back and just taste of all the goodness and just be, you know, given all the sweets of God and never, and, and my teeth just rot out, right? I want to go to the people and have that glory upon me where I don't have to say a word and I just walk in the building and something happens, something shifts like Smith Wigglesworth, right? He just walked in, what was it, a train yard, and, and, and he walked in, the men began to cry and repent, and he didn't say a word because of the glory that he carried because he got alone with Daddy God, and he said, God, show me who I am. Stop letting me try to figure out who I am. God, you show me who I am. Smith Wilgos, he wasn't until, what, his 50s or 60s until he started moving in all of that. God began to show him who he really was because he finally decided to say, you know what, I'm going to let you show me. Who I am. You see, there are doors locked that can only be opened by the keys Yahweh gives only in the secret place. We're wanting all these keys to unlock things, and we believe it because the Bible says it, but there's also a laid out way to get those keys. You've got to get alone with Him. You've got to get alone with Him. I know that all you hear me saying is, you got to get in there, you got to get in there, because church, the church has not been doing it enough. Because if the church had, we'd be seeing full blown out. Revival, renewal happening. You know, in the rest of the world, that America is the only place that we call it revival. Everywhere else, they call it renewal. <laughs> revival is what? Bringing something from dead to life. Renewal is what the church needs to continually renew their life, right? Continually being renewed, getting along with him, and saying, God, I need a refreshing, right? Give me that refreshing, Lord. There are doors locked that can only be opened by the keys Yahweh gives only in the secret place. Your gifting and your anointing will raise you up, it will, but mantles are given in the secret place where God humbles you. God allows us to operate at our highest degree of effectiveness only when we have submitted to our lowest public state or our lowest degree of self. Guys, I'm reading off just phrases that the Lord, uh, you know, laid on my heart just to give. Just let them sink in. God allows us to operate at our highest degree of effectiveness. I don't know about you, but I want to be effective at the highest level that I can be. Amen? Only when we have submitted to our lowest public state or our lowest degree of self. <laughs> We've got to let ourself completely die. We've got to let it completely go to the wayside, right? We've got to say, God, as much as I know, even the things that I've grown up and that I've been taught, and even the things that I've learned in this season in the secret place, God, let them be of nothing if you want to show me more of who you are, a deeper degree of this thing. God, I need more of you. Get rid of myself, Lord. Help me to die to myself. We all know how to respond to the enemy who wants to take us out prematurely, but don't know how to respond to the one who desires to elevate us. Our response should be learned and matured in the secret place. So often we've got so many people, so many Christians that just, oh, the devil this, the devil's done that, and he's messing with me here and there. Oh, the devil, the devil, the devil. But then when the Lord's yelling at us, we're blind to it. We don't hear it. God's always speaking. But there's a way for, for us to hear him clearly. And it's we've got to cultivate and learn his voice, right? We've got to get along with him and learn his cadences and learn how he moves with us. You see, it's a dance. He, he dances with us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a, uh, 
I've heard it said before, you know, a circle dance. You know, us, the Father and Him, us, the Holy Ghost and Him, you know, just doing it all together. Walking in union together, but the thing is, with the dance, it's you and a partner. It's not you, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, another word that was given, another prophetic thing, just you and Him. He wants to give you prophetic words. He wants you to flow in it. All the desires that you have to be used of God and the prophetic and the giftings, all those that you have, because I don't know any Christian that doesn't want to move in the giftings, right? All those things he, he does want to give to us, but he's only going to give it to you whenever you allow him to, and that's through, hey, God, I'm alone with you, Father. Impart it into me. Show me how to move with you so that, you know, God's always moving. It's just that we miss him, right? Knowing when he speaks, when he moves, knowing when he walks in a room. Many of us have been to more church services than Jesus. <laughs> because he's not even been to many of those services. He never showed up. And most of the church did not even know it. Mostly being moved by emotionalism and excitement and goosebumps, believing these natural occurrences to be him. And nobody being sensitive enough to the supernatural by way of proximity to the secret place to see him truly. We've got to be careful. There's so many people going around thinking that it's God, believing that it's God, and it's just an emotion that's being moved by a song that, that they relate to. We've got to make sure that it is God himself, the true spirit of God flowing and moving. You can go to a concert and be moved and get goosebumps all day long. That's not what God's about. He's about us getting alone with him. Why? So that we can know when he comes in a room. So that we can know whenever it's not just emotions and it's not just, you know, me feeling something and being in my feelings, as they say. But it be truly God moving. And I know when it's really him. And I know whenever something's off as well. It all goes back to his original intent in the garden of face-to-face communion. Face-to-face meaning mouth-to-mouth communion. Not saying anything or doing anything unless we first receive it from Daddy God. I mean, how radical is that? How radical would it be if, you know, you're going to school, you're going to work, and you want you you you, you want to to evangelize and you want to do these things, but what would happen if you first just got alone and waited until you were endued with power? Didn't he say that? He said, wait. Wait for me. Wait till you're endued with power. I will send the Holy Spirit. And then they went. And everywhere as they went, they were effective. Right? The first day was 3,000 people gave their heart to the Lord. I want to be effective everywhere I go. You know, it's nice and it's good to want to do good and, and to want to reach the lost. And it's good to want to pray for the sick and cast out demons. Those are great. And hold those things in your heart. But look, get along with him and get that fire within you. Get along with him so that you don't even have to figure things out. He's like, he just downloads things to you. That's how I want to move. It's easy. <laughs> I don't have to do nothing. No striving. No work in it. Ministry in, in our life of the Lord should be no work. It should be no striving, right? It's a rest in him. Resting and believing and knowing that he wants to move and flow in us. But God, I'm going to put my work in. I'm going to put my time in. I'm going to set aside this time, God, with you. I'm going to make sure that I get along with you, God, because we're living in times that, God, we need the church to stand up and to rise up and move in power. Amen? Secret place living produces this union of oneness with him, a union with him. 
When proximity becomes our heart's desire, you get nearer to God than you have ever been because this has always been his heart's desire. What Yahweh desires more than anything is us, just us. You don't have to get in there and, and have some eloquent you know, speech and some by whole Holy Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this, thou, thee. It ain't got to be all that. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. This morning I probably had one of the best uh, secret place times, if you want to call it that, with him. And I didn't say a word. Got in there, I just put some music on, and his presence came in the room. Actually, the presence was already there. Remember I said it last week. He's already there. The Father's in the secret place waiting for you to come and commune with him. When proximity becomes our heart's desire, you get nearer to God than you have ever been because this has always been his heart's desire. Remember, it was in the, in the Garden of Eden. God walked with him in the cool of the day. That's what they did before he created a woman. Before any, It was just God and Adam, and they just hung out. They spent time together. They loved on one another. You see, true holiness is divorcing all the inferior things So we can have a singular locked in focus on this one thing. Proximity to him. Single mindedness. A straight way, a narrow way, an obsession with this one all consuming figure named Jesus. We've got to get obsessed with Jesus. Amen. Get obsessed with him. I believe that every single one of you have uh, your own relationship with Jesus. But we all know that there's deeper, there's deeper revelations of his intimacy that he wants to have with you, of a relationship with him that you can't even speak of. It's so deep that you're going through your day and you want to try to explain it to people, but you can't because he's doing such a deep thing within you that it's not even going to pop up right then and there. It'll be later on. It'll be 20, 30 years later whenever he gives you revelation of what he was actually doing in the moment. You see, that's what he's doing. That's how serious this is. We're not doing it for ourselves anymore. We're doing it for the next generation and the next generation. We've got to, you know, as a church, we've got to get into a mindset of being a generational people. We've got to think about the next generation. We get so, so uh, uh, one-minded. We get in this place of, okay, God's moving. we got revival. God's going to use us, and we're going to go, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And most times, the, revel- the revival quits. It stops and never goes on because they're not even thinking about the next generation to carry it on. Next generation raises up, and there's no fathers and mothers there, you know, feeding them what they're supposed to be feeding them. Amen, amen. All right, let's see. Really quick, I've got a few more minutes. That was just some things that the Lord had me write down this morning, but I want to get into the secret place inheritances, things that you inherit in the secret place. I'm only going to get started on it a little bit. Uh, I want to start with the main verses for that, and then I'll probably just stop there. Uh, The parable of the ten virgins. This is Matthew 25, 1 through 13. And uh, y'all can just write that down, check it back out. I'm going to read through it quickly. I'm kind of just ad-libbing the verses here. So basically, in verse, I'm just going to go through it quick, real quick. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. They were not ready. I want to tell you the secret place is the place that you get to go and get ready and get your oil filled up so that when Jesus comes, you're ready, right? So that when Jesus walks in a room, you're ready to disperse that oil where it needs to go. Amen. You see, the wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Their lamps were full and they were ready. The bridegroom was a long time in coming 
and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. The church asleep. Are you awake? Guys, I want to make sure that I am awake every second, every moment of the day, right? I want to make sure that wherever I go, even when I don't feel like it, God, where are you at, Lord? Lord, I'm not feeling right. I need to stop for a second. God, wake my spirit up. God, I'm not led by my feelings. God, I'm not led by what's going on. I'm led by the spirit of God that is in me, right? We got to speak to ourselves and tell our, our, our bodies to get in alignment with the spirit of God that is within us. Amen. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they replied, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or hour. It reminds me of the other verses later on uh, in Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 through 23. I never knew you. I never intimately knew you. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In verse 20, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow. Not just away from me, I never knew you, but you evil doers. Wow. So what does that tell you? That tells you that people were going about doing things in the name of Jesus, doing things and healing people and all these things because Jesus' name is powerful, right? God will still get the glory, even if somebody's doing it out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. God will still get the glory. But they were doing it for themselves. They were doing it for what? Their ministry. For what? To uplift their name and, and get their name in lights and more people know them and you get more influence and more people. These little things go on within us. When the power starts to move in you, those things will start to creep in, just like Satan, right? He had a lot of power. He was beautiful. Pride crept in. And he said, I never knew you. You never got alone with me. You never spent time with me. You never got in that secret place. And you never asked me, God, what do you want me to do? You just went headlong, and I used it for my glory. But I pulled those, you know, the tears out with the wheat when that time came. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus tells us how to pray. But when you pray, and I always tell Hayes that, we talk about it. You know, it's not if you decide to pray, it's when you pray, right? But when you pray, go into your room, the closet, close the door, pray to your father, like I said last a few weeks ago, who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We must be ready, making sure our lamps are full with oil. From the secret place, we will fill our lamps with oil. This is done daily, being filled to be poured out and filled again. So we stay ready for Jesus' return and his visitations. We don't want to be those, he says, I never knew you. You see, the secret place is where he shapes and molds us, yes. But also God expects us to have understanding and awareness concerning today through continual time spent in the secret place. I'm going to end on that one last note there. Guys, we've got to know what's going on in the world today. Out of all the people in the world, the Christians have got to know what's going on. We're not going to know when Jesus comes back, no. But he does give us uh, uh, signs, right? He gives us these things, and, and there's seasons that we'll be able to know what's going on. And the people are going to come to us. People will. And they may, they may have already come to you asking for answers and saying, look at the world, what's going on? And it's only going to get worse. 
it's going to get worse out there, guys. But what's awesome about that is for us, as long as we're following him, spending time with him, staying in our lane, and we're seeking after revival, being doorkeepers of revival, that we're not going to be stepped up. We're not going to slip up. But we've got to put in our own work. It's hard. It is hard because you're killing your flesh every single day. But the more that you do it, the easier it gets. And the more beautiful it gets, and the more in love you fall with Jesus, and it becomes so easy. No longer is it work. No longer is it ministry. No longer are you striving. You're just loving Jesus. You're just lost in love with him. You're not even worried about anything else. People will call you crazy, call you cuckoo. And all you have to say is that, oh, I'm just so in love with Jesus. He's awesome. And people will tell you, you can't be so heavenly minded. You have no earthly good. Let me tell you, friend, if you get so heavenly minded, you'll be nothing but earthly good. So let's get so heavenly minded. Let's get away. Let's get locked away with him. Let's get in heaven with him. What is heaven? Is it necessarily a place? No. It's so much. You know, here's the thing. We've got. I heard somebody else put it this way. That wherever two of the, of the three uh, are, that, that, that's heaven. Kind of right now. And I think of. Um, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not going to say it. I'll, I'll say it next week. But anyways. Getting, you know, heaven is, is really wherever Father God is with us. Wherever the Holy Ghost is with us, wherever he is, right? That is heaven. When we go before him, we're not going to be worried about what it looks like so much. We're just going to be looking at him. Because he's going to be the most beautiful thing that we look at. But here's the beautiful thing as well, is that he wants to, he wants to get along with us and show us how beautiful he is right here, right now. So that we can go out and show it to the world. Amen? Amen. Anybody have any questions? Pastor Jacob and the secret place. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, for me, when I really started to say, you know what, I've really got to get, I've really got to get into this and really do this. I know that this is important. Um, I guess elementarily putting it is really what I've been saying is guys, you just, you just have to make that time alone. You know, get your favorite worship music that you like, that really excites you, that really gets you in, into the spirit. You know what I mean? Find that worship album, find that, that music that you like, make you Make you a, a set list. Set it up. Get alone and just, you know, get it. Just get alone. Just let that music go. Listen to the words and then just start worshiping. You do it here. We do it here so easily, right? But we've got to make a place, you know, and, and like some of us have been doing, making a literal secret place. You know, if you have room, if you have an extra room, if you have a closet somewhere, do exactly what the Bible said. Get you, make you a really nice place where you can fall asleep and just uh, nap before the Lord. You know, I've said it before. It's. You know, God would much rather us fall asleep on Daddy's lap, you know, praying to him than watching TV, you know. So make a secret place, you know, get some covers, get a blanket, you know, put put up uh, notepads, put up pictures, I mean, and get your music in there, you know. Get you some oil, get in there and just spend time, you know, make it, make it personal. Put things that you really enjoy, because the things that you enjoy, you know, in the Lord, 
you know, God delights himself in those things as well. Amen. Man, yeah, even five minutes. If it's hard for you, you know, at first, if it's hard for you, make it that just good five minutes where you have, you turn the phone off, put it in another room. Just take it, make it, you know, make it personal. Make it, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, yes, make it comfortable, but you got to be intentional. Yeah, you got to be intentional about it. Put every distraction away. Don't do it in front of the TV. Don't do it, in, you know, like I said, with your phone. You know, if you've got dogs and stuff, which I do, but my dogs usually just fall asleep, you know, while I'm praying or whatever. Um, but, yeah, just f- start five minutes. Start five minutes and say, God, these five minutes are for you. I don't have much to say, but, Lord, I just want to learn from you. How, how do I do this? How do I do- you show me? You teach me how to do this. God, I'm not going to allow, you know, the sermons and you too. All that's good and great, but you've got to learn from him, the helper, the teacher himself. He'll show you how to do it all. Amen. Did everybody catch the questions? I was slow on the draw with the mic. Sorry. Everybody heard the questions. How would you start your secret place in time, essentially, and then how long? If you're uh, just getting into it, would you go? And uh, I think it's so good. That's just like, it's very specific to each person. And uh, I appreciate what you said about the risk. How challenging is that? Like, when God says go, we go. You will, Even with God by your side, you will never know every single thing that's going to come up. And what about this? And what to be bread for that? And don't forget about that. That's not how it works. Because then there would be no reason for faith, right? He would just be a magic eight ball. Okay, this. Okay, that. So, I mean, I'm always saying it. How often do we get caught up? We're waiting on him. No, he's... 99% of the time waiting on us and we don't stop long enough to hear him say go so um and just so you know I believe God is God of confirmation you were spot on with that hard week thing because it has been a struggle okay <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the dogs of your house speak in tongues I'm just saying okay so we're gonna take <laughs> what are their names again Lily and Jack him come on somebody Peter, Paul, and Mary. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Five minutes, please. Five minutes. Go to the restroom, stretch, say hi to your friends, get a mint, whatever you need to do. Be back here in five minutes for Pastor John's class on Doorkeepers of Revival.
And uh, he's going to talk to you about being doorkeepers of revival. Uh, amen. Good, good to have you tonight. You excited to be here? I'm excited to be here. I'm excited I'm, I woke up today. Amen. All right, let's get into this. Let's not waste any time, Pastor John. All right, let's not. Let's see here. I think this thing is loading, so we're going to wait for this thing to load. While that's loading, let's open our Bibles tonight just for a moment um, to Acts chapter number 16. Here we go. Acts chapter 16 and um, verse number 16 for just a moment. And let's look at this together. Acts 16, verse 16. And it says this, One day as we were going to the house of prayer, we encountered a young slave girl who had an evil spirit of divination, the spirit of Python. And she had earned great profits for their owners by being a fortune teller. And she kept following us, shouting, These men are servants of the great high God, and they're telling us how to be saved. And day after day, she continued to do this. And Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit indwelling her, I command you in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to come out of her. And at that very moment, the spirit came out of her. And when her owners realized their potential of making profit had vanished, they forcefully seized Paul and Silas and dragged them off to the city square to face the authorities. Um, as we go down into um, to verse number 20, it says, And when they appeared before the soldiers and magistrates, the slave owners leveled accusations against them, saying, These Jews are troublemakers. They're throwing our city into confusion. They're punishing their Jewish religion down our throats. It's wrong and unlawful for them to promote these Jewish ways over Romans living in a Roman colony. And then a crowd gathered, and all the people joined in to come against them. And the Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. Skipping on down to verse 26, uh, verse 25. And Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. And suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and all at once, every prison door flung open, and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad we serve a God that can uh, make a way of an escape at any moment? Amen? And so we're talking about doorkeepers of revival, and that story will come back here in a moment. And we're, if you don't have the book, you need to get the book. I promise they're on the way. I keep saying that. Uh, who does not have this book? One, two, three, four. So I need, okay, I need 10 at least. Um, I've got some coming. Um, hopefully we'll be here next week. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, uh, you can share it. Uh, but it's by uh, Pastor Kim Owens, so I encourage you to get it if you can. I'm, 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 I've got them ordered. That should hopefully be here next week. If not, get your own. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> so talking about doorkeepers of revival, and we were talking about um, uh, we we talked about what is it what is a doorkeeper. We started with Psalms eighty four ten. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents 
of wickedness. We said that a doorkeeper um, meant to stand at or guard the threshold. We said that a doorkeeper allows access and entry, has keys, has authority. It's a watchman, protector, and a guardian of the entry point. We said that a doorkeeper occupies a position and an assignment and at all costs will never allow the door to go unattended. Amen? So that was session one. In session two, we talked about being marked by God. That was last Wednesday. And we looked at 1 Kings 8 and 43. We talked about what is a token out of uh, 843 of 1 Kings. We said it was a characteristic or a mark of something. We said that Solomon, uh, we understood that Solomon prayed and specifically asked the Lord uh, that just as Israel, the type of the church, had revelation of his presence, the world would have revelation of his presence, that they would know that the temple was distinguished or marked by his presence. Everybody say, I am marked. Yes, you are. We said that it's only God's presence that marks his church. It's the only thing that distinguishes us from Walmart, from McDonald's. We're the only ones that carry a significant outpouring of his spirit. Yes, you can bring his presence with you everywhere you go, but his temple, the tabernacle of God, this house, this church, has is marked by God. We are we host his presence. Amen. We said in a revival culture, the mark must be his presence. We said as a doorkeeper, this must not be an option. We said our constant desire is unrestrained pursuit of the presence of God, and we will not settle for anything less. We talked about branding, and then we said that everything we do at this church revolves around the move of God. This is our assignment and priority, and we are mantled for this. The manifestation of his presence pushes everything that's non-essential to the back burner. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's move on quickly. We, and again, uh, uh, as per the word of the Lord through our, my mom, uh, the doorkeeper is always on guard. Everybody say on guard. And so on guard is very important uh, terminology, language that we're using in this season that we're in, on guard. All right, let's go to chapter 3. This is We're going to talk about our story, our revival story today. Now, in the book, she's talking about theirs, but I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about ours. Um, pages here. Pages here, Garrett's here, Tana and Jacob are both here. Uh, these three, uh, and Sarah's here, uh, these three um, folks have been with me either all eight years or most of the eight years that we've been as a church. Pastor Peggy has been with us um, frequently as a guest speaker and as a friend of our, of our house, and then her and her family joined a few years ago. And so she's also seen us as a church um, transpire over the last eight years. And so I want to give honor to those women today who have been with us. And I'm sorry, Miss Mary, I didn't see you. And Miss Mary as well. Um, so please forgive me, Miss Mary. Uh, so, so, uh, and, huh? And men. And so, so, uh, apologize. And of course, Alexis, she's been around too. She was in high school when we first started. And so, so, I want to show you how we transpired to where we are today, okay? So it's going to take me a minute, so uh, bear with me. First of all, now tonight I'm going to talk about um, early frustrations 
our early beginnings. I'm going to talk, say some things um, to help you understand why where we are today is so important. Okay. Now, first off, Ephesians 6 and 12 says this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay, let's, under, let's, let's take our holy highlighter and highlight we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The war we wage is not against each other. It's against the demonic um, spirits that wage war against us. Now we look at it in the in, in the passion. Says this: Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities, operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. And so, not only does it hold the dark world, this world in bondage but it also can hold the church in bondage if we allow it. And so every Thursday night here at the church, we have what we call fight. And it's a prophetic intercessors that come together. If you're called to intercede, this is for you. We meet at 6.30. And basically, I have a list of things that we normally put on the whiteboard if I'm here. And we go to war over like 20 items. We go to war about against perversion. We go to war over racism. We go over, we go over, go to war with things of that nature that the enemy throws at our region. Amen. And then we also go to war for our body. So if there are things that I know that's going on in our body, we'll present those things and we'll go to war uh, at war uh, for our people. Now let me let me let me start off by saying this. If you have the book, I'm on page 27, and let me just read this to you uh, real fast. And this is going to be important. It's going to be very, very important to understand our journey, okay? It says this, We became frustrated as leaders of our church about eight years or so into our journey. In 2005, my husband was involved in a motorcycle accident that resulted in the amputation of his lower leg, left leg. And while the story could probably be a book, the bottom line is this. This is where the significant warfare against revival began. So let's look up here. We became frustrated as leaders of our church. Now let me let me talk to you about that for a moment. Um, we became frustrated as leaders in our church. It was a uh, it was um, well. Let me let me let me continue. I don't want to get ahead of myself. When I became frustrated as the leader of TGP, that is where the significant warfare against revival began. When we started our church, we decided we'd go to the Elegante. We were there, um, had a great time. Jeff and I didn't really have a clear vision on what God wanted to do. All we knew was that we were going to be a place where people could encounter God. That's all we knew. Um, we didn't really have language. We didn't know how to explain it. We just said, let's go for it. And so um, my friend, Apostle Ryan Lestrange, released a prophetic word about gathering places, and, uh, and, it, and it clearly defined um, the direction that God wanted to take us. And so we latched upon onto that, and we went for it. And um, and then the book Revival Hubs came out. We read it. Uh, I read up to half of it, and then I got what I needed, and I laid it down. And so 
in the early prop, or in the early years, our first year, we I became frustrated, and I knew that, and I not, and I said this publicly. Um, I did not, and in fact, the word. Let me just be blunt. The word was, I hate Sundays, and I literally hated going to church on Sunday, and so um, I was frustrated. I was like, God, why? Well, nothing's happening. Nothing's going on, and then. Um, uh, let me read this to you. It says this, the enemy's warfare is strategic. He recognizes mantles of grace more than we, so he will formulate a battle strategy to take you out before you arrive. So the enemy was already, in, in, within six months, honey, <laughs> trying to take us out. But God. So our story begins in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Can I get my phone, please? Numbers 13. Thank you, ma'am. So let's go there. I'm not going to read it all. But I stood before our congregation on one Sunday morning, and some of you were probably there. Um, it was, there was only four of us there that day. And um, for real, y'all, for real. And I stood before our congregation, and Jeff and I had just left um, a bridal. Sh- we were setting up for a bridal show, and I've been, I've been, I was wrestling with the Lord all weekend long, and um, <clears throat> and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to preach on. I don't even care. Let's just go over there. Let's set this thing up, and let's just see what happens. And just so happened, my mom was in town. I forgot what she was in town for. There ain't no telling. And um, and so we we went to church, and again I had nothing I had nothing to say. And so, uh, but the Lord told me on the way from Beaumont, we were we were right in front of the airport, and the Lord said you're going to speak from Numbers chapter 13. I said yes, sir. And so, I didn't know what it was about. Didn't even know there was Numbers 13. And so I grabbed my, grabbed our, my Bible when I got there, and I opened it up, and it was about um, spying out the land. And um, the Lord began to speak to me about a pioneering spirit. And so. This Sunday was a Sunday where God began to change a lot for our church. And so I want to look at this, Numbers chapter 13, and uh, let's look at verse 17. It says this, uh, and I'm going to cry because y'all just bear with me. Uh, Numbers 13 and 17, it says this, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way, then go up that way, verse 18, and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, and whether the land is in which they live is good or bad, and whether the cities in which they live are camps or fortifications, and what the land is. Is it fat? Is it lean? Whether the timber is on it or not? And make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land. Verse 21. So they went up there and they spied out the land. And it tells you where they went. Verse 23. And then came to the valley of Iscal, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them with some of the... uh, pomegranates and the figs and that place was the call the valley of Iscal because of the cluster of the grapes verse 25 and when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days they came to Moses and Aaron and to the congregation of the sons of Israel and brought back word to them and to the congregation and showed them the land's fruit and they reported to Moses and said we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit but the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw 
they're, they're the descendants of Anak, people of great stature and courage. The people descended from Amel, uh, say that, live in the land of that land there, and it goes all down. Now, verse 30, and it says this, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's, Let us go up at once and take possession of it, for we will certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people of Canaan, for they are too strong for us. So they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we went and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw were we saw on it are men of great stature. And there, and there we saw the Nephilim, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. Now let me back up for a moment, and we'll get off this, but uh, I want to show you where I was as a leader in this story. I was the guy, uh, I was Caleb, who went into the land, saw a great thing, but nobody supported me. And so, I stood before our congregation of four that day. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I, I literally read the entire thing, cried the entire time while I was reading it, because it was more for me than it was for them. And I, there I realized that I was being mantled for something great. And so all the frustration that I had felt was actually God opening my eyes to something more. So frustration is an indicator that there's greatness on the other side. And so I was there, and I saw it was flowing milk and honey. Fruit was great. I knew God had called us to do something great, but nobody could see it. Nobody wanted to see it. Churches had been started around us, hundreds, thousands of folks going to these other new churches that just birthed the year before us, um, and and um, here we are, we had four folks, couldn't pay the bills, didn't know how to pay the water bill, didn't know, didn't know anything, didn't know how to do anything, but God provided every single time. When I didn't have the, the we were, we were, uh, if during this moment, during this time, um, we couldn't pay the, the, the rent, the lease there. And I'll show you, we were at a little storefront on 27th Street, and we couldn't pay it. And, um, and I was told someone that was a member there of our church at that time, I said, look, I said, we're probably just going to move um, over to where our store is, because we have plenty of room, uh, um, on Needle Avenue, plenty of room. We got, I mean, we have more room what we can deal with, and that rent's paid. At least we know that's what we've taken care of. And so, um, and he told me, he said, "No, stay the course." Well, easier for you, easy, easy for you to say. And so I said, "Okay." So we stood the course, and then that night or that afternoon, someone who had, we've known all of our life, who was back and forth in our church um, in those early years. Uh, caught us when we came back to the church we had to do something and uh, this lady was in our parking lot and she said well haven't been in, been in a while uh, but I need to catch up on my tithe and 
and that check paid for everything. Remember, frustration on the other side of frustration is greatness. And I'll say this, it was Dorothy Guerrero that and so she's in heaven today. Um and so I was at a moment where, where I was ready to give up. I was ready to throw in the towel. I was done. And but God said, wait a minute, stay the course, trust me, believe. And all things are going to work together. So this is where, this is where I I begin to ask God, what are we what are we doing? You told us to start the church. We're do we're doing what you told us to do. But I need language. I need direction. I need clarity. Where do we go from here? And so I was laying. Jeff and I were living together at the time, and I was laying in my bed, and I said, God, I sure do hate Sundays. I dread it with everything with in me, I cannot stand it. He said, because I didn't call you to Sunday. Okay. Nice to know that now. And I said, well, I said, well, I asked him, what did you call us to? And he said, he said, you want to do church differently? Than do, he said, you need, to start, you need to do Saturday night church. And so we did Saturday night church. And I'm going to show you some. Let me get to this real quick. Our pain frustration of the moment was leading us into an authority of a mantle. Your present pain is always about your future purpose. It's not about the moment. It's about the momentum that God wants to launch you into. Our pain frustration of the moment was leading us into an authority of a revival mantle. Now these three things that I've shown you behind me is what Pastor Kim put in her book about their story. But I felt it was imperative that I do the same thing because it's my story too. Okay. Now I want you to show you some pictures. So the picture on here on your left is a picture of a, one of our Saturday night gatherings. And this picture here is another Saturday night gathering we had. Um, and that's just the space we were in that I'm showing you there. Uh, but notice we went from four to that literally within days. Literally. So when you do the God thing, he will bless it. Okay? We went from four folks to that within, I'd say days, probably within a month. Okay, Because he said, do Saturday night church. And the Lord told Jeff, call it a summer of breakthrough. And that's what we did. And every single night, I mean every single Saturday night, we brought in a guest speaker and literally packed the house out every single Saturday night. Okay, this is another one. Um, the left one here is we're praying for people, and then the October of that same year we moved here, and this picture here is uh, is before we made some changes with paint and stuff, and so <clears throat> this picture is when we moved in this facility here. And so, we had, it was, the platform was up against this wall. So we tore that out immediately. Now this, this 
night here was a Saturday night church, and uh, this night is where the game changed. We had just uh, uh, Tana and Jacob and Israel Hansen and um, uh, who else was with us on that trip? We had Jeff who drove us. Yeah, that wasn't gonna drive. Is that, is that who it was? Okay. So we all decided to go to a conference in Daphne, Alabama at John Kilpatrick's church called A Pill to Heaven with Dutch Sheets. And when we came back, this is what happened. I mean, it was crazy. That was the night I realized I we were mantled for revival. I knew we were called. I knew we were chosen. But I didn't realize that we had the mantle. So let's go back to this. The enemy's warfare is strategic. He recognizes mantles of grace more than we do, so he will formulate a battle strategy to take you out before you arrive. If I would have shut down three months before like I was going to, we would not have seen an outpouring of God like we did. And we stayed like that for many, 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 many weeks. And so, let's get into it. Let me make sure I'm not overlooking anything here. Okay, no, I'm not. That pink carpet. Man. Okay. Let me get through this really fast, y'all. Spirits that bring a pushback and resistance to a revival culture. And you need to know this. You need to understand this. You need to realize this is what I was talking about in Ephesians 6. Uh, principalities and powers. Okay? Spirits that bring a pushback and a resistance to a revival culture. Take your notes. It's on the screen. Number one, Jezebel. Number two, Korah. Number three, Absalom. Number four, Python. And number five, a religious spirit. These five demons, these five spirits, five spirits, I deal with every Sunday morning. So if you want to pray, pray in tongues, pray intentional that this has no power and no authority. We understand Jesus went to the cross, he paid it all. It was finished. It was done. However, comma, the enemy still likes to trick people and do things and tries to come up and try to and does resist. Sunday, I, I was had a strong resistance Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning. And so we have to be able, I have to have people in the body who under, who can sense that resistance and begins to warfare. So these five spirits, Jezebel, Korah, Absalom, Python, and religious spirit, will always come against a revival culture. Now let's, say, let's see why. Jezebel is an intimidating, manipulating spirit that is after your spiritual authority. Jezebel is an intimidating, manipulating spirit that is after your spiritual authority. There were Sundays, many Sundays, where I would come up here and be so intimidated 
and feel like I couldn't do anything that, I mean, I, I, I just wanted to run out the door. But then I got the revelation that it was a spirit that was manipulating my emotions to, to make me feel intimidated. Jezebel. Jezebel. Sometimes the enemy uses people and their faces to make you feel intimidated. Okay? Jezebel, it's an intimidating, manipulating spirit that is after your spiritual authority. If you are an intercessor, if you're a prophetic person, this is the spirit that's after your voice. If you come on Thursday nights, there is a good chance that I'm going to have you decree something in the microphone. Okay? The first spirit that's going to show up is Jezebel. Going to try to intimidate you to say that you're going to, you're, you don't know what you're doing, that you can't do it, that you have nothing to say. Jezebel. It's horrible. But, we have the power to, to take authority over it. Korah is the uprising of people that believe they know more than you and want to usurp a leader's authority. Let's just leave that there for a minute. Well, I've been in church 40 years, Pastor John. I know what to do. You ain't doing it the way you should be doing it. Okay. It's the uprising of people. And normally, the people that are operating with this spirit try to find other chorus. And what happens in, in denominational churches is they'll find other chorus in the, in the body and they'll end up throwing the pastor out in, in churches that they vote the pastor in. Churches like Assemblies of God, uh, Baptist churches that have strong, um, heavy board governments in their uh, church. So it's the uprising of people that believe they know more than you and want to usurp a leader's authority. This happened in a church in Beaumont very recently. Okay? Korah. Um, third thing, Absalom is a spirit sent to divide in order to build Satan's own kingdom. Now, let's put it in language we understand. It's a spirit sent to divide a church, to split it, in order to build man's kingdom. Church splitters have this spirit. So they'll open up a new church, they'll split one church, open up a new church, drag all those faithful attenders of this other church over to their church, because they're the next big thing happening. But the church was birthed out of split. And split begets split. Our church wasn't birthed out of a split. It was birthed out of the spirit. A lot of the churches around here. And God forgive me please. Folks watching. But listen, truth is truth. A lot of the churches around here. Were birthed out of splits. So Absalom is a spirit sent to divide. In order to build. Uh, Satan's kingdom. Python spirit, and much, most of us know the Python spirit, is a spirit sent to restrict and constrict in all areas, especially though prayer and the prophetic. 
Python spirit will come and literally choke your voice out. It's happened to me many times. I've been standing, I've been standing right here, and all of a sudden I am choking. I've had it was happened. I think it was last year. Literally choked, and it was a python because I was about to talk about a religious spirit, and it just choked me. And so, um, it's, but it happens especially in prayer and the prophetic. Let me ask. Let me say this to you also: If you're someone that wakes up, wakes up in the middle of the night choking, um, you need to make sure that you're not being. I don't want to say controlled, but that that yeah that yeah yeah that you're not being attacked by a python spirit at in at the in nighttime. If you wake up choking, uh, which I have done that before, um, and when I prayed to be uh, delivered from this, it stopped. And so you may want to consider praying and asking the Father, "What's this about?" And if He'll show you what you need to do. Amen. So it's sense of restrict and constrict in all areas, especially though. Prayer and the prophetic. Next one. Next one. Next one. See, there we go. Is the religious spirit. It is an anti-freedom. It's a settling spirit. And it accept, it's, a, it's, it's a accepting of the status quo. Anti-freedom. There's a lot of, let me just put this out there in the political sense. There is a lot of anti-freedom people who live in America. And so the religious spirit could also be called a political spirit. Okay? Anti-freedom, it's a settling spirit. Oh, don't go vote. Your vote won't change anything. Oh, don't go pray. Your prayers won't change anything. Oh, don't, don't, just... Don't go to the altar and pray. Don't, don't do. It's just, a, it just, just settle. Just settle for, for just quiet. Just settle for how things used to be. God isn't in the used to be. God is moving now. Okay, religious spirit. It, it's a settling spirit. It's acceptance of the status quo. Anti freedom. These spirits bring a pushback and resistance to revival culture. All these attacks are launched to wear you down and to make you quit. I dealt with these in our first few years as a church. What did it want me to do? Quit. The devil's assignment is always to make you quit. Why? Because you're chosen of God. You're a royal generation. You're chosen by him to, be, to do great and incredible exploits for the kingdom of God. I guess let me close with this. I got so much more. But the enemy doesn't want you to press into the fullness of the spirit because the more you press, the more of the tangible presence of heaven you release on earth and the more territory you take. The religious spirit will say, don't press in. Don't just come to church. Get there late. Don't get there early and pray. You know, Don't clap. Don't lift your hands. Don't do anything. Just resist, resist, resist. We saw that in the last inauguration. Resist. We saw that 
against Trump. Resist, resist, resist. And I'll tell you something. I don't care who you voted for. That's none of my business. But that was a display of what the enemy was doing to the church. We saw it before our eyes. It was, a, it was prophetic. It was showing the church. This is where you, what they say, what's going on in the natural is an a, a indicator of supernatural. So all this fighting and all this stuff, President Trump was a voice of change. He was a voice of moving forward. He was trying to get us in the right direction. And then what happened? Resist, resist, resist. Same thing happens in the church. Pastor gets up here, move forward, pray in tongues, read your Bible, blah, 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 blah. The enemy comes in, resist, resist, resist. It's a political, it's a religious spirit so that the enemy wears you down and makes you want to quit, including the leader. Amen? If the enemy can keep you nominal in your spiritual pursuit and corporate pursuit, then he knows he will keep you natural. That he knows he will keep you natural. Sunday I spoke on um, the supernatural. The Lord wants you to be supernatural in your natural self. Naturally supernatural. Not a freak. Not spooky. Got enough of Christians out of that way. The Lord wants you to be you, uniquely you, doing what he's called you to do his way. But if you stay nominal, or normal in your spiritual pursuit, in corporate pursuit, then he knows, the enemy knows, he will keep you natural and you'll never come out into a supernatural lifestyle where the Spirit is. Let's stand. Oh, man, we got so much. Um... Let me just read this real quick. Remember we said that what we realize now, well, let me read this to you. What we realize now is that every battle we went through was training us to wear a mantle of revival that would host his presence, take territory, touch nations, and train doorkeepers of revival. That is what we're called to do, to wear a mantle of revival to impact our community and our world for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you, Lord, for calling us, cho choosing us to be radical lovers of your presence, to be doorkeepers of revival, to hold the door open, God, for the King of glory to come in, to saturate us, to saturate our families and in our business and those that are connected to us. Father, we thank you as we leave tonight. Father, give us revelation of your presence. Give us, show us more of you. Show us your glory. Show us your power, God, in ways that we've never experienced before. Father, we don't want to experience you in old ways. We want to experience you in the new that you're doing now. Understanding that our identity comes from you. It doesn't come from revival. It doesn't come from anything other than you. So, Father, if there's someone here today or someone that may have been watching that needs an identity check or identity change, Father, let them get a revelation of how lovely and how good you are. 
Father, we thank you for each person here today and those that joined us online tonight. Father, I ask you to bless them. Lord, let the rest of their week be the best of their week. Father, we bless them. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. Come on.